Asia-Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia-Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock. On Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Link. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents. This Saturday, the 10th of September, I'm Giselle Hanna. And I'm Pierre Morrow. And it's the th- 3rd of September is already gone by. The, and we're oh, on you were wanting to say something about spring, weren't you? I uh, could feel it. Yeah, yeah. well, it is spring. <laughs> it's, it's wet and it's, everything's growing and all that. Um, but yes, so <laughs> it's, all, it's all good, uh, Giselle. And thanks for Solidarity Breakfast for another Good program, and um, I wish I could tell you what that song was, but I really can't. But I'll blame her on Giselle. She's the younger and hippiest um, person in this show, so I'm the old one, old Um, and wise one. Listeners, we know that you love the ageism that is ringing loud and clear on this show. Let me tell you, though, what's coming up on today's program. Many of you will have seen the extraordinary general strike in India. We've been talking about it for a couple of weeks now. Of course, that was held on uh, Saturday the 2nd, Friday, Friday the 2nd of September. 180 million workers came out for that general strike. And in the second part of the program today, we'll be speaking with Vasudhavan, who is from the New Trade Union Initiative in India, about exactly what happened and what was the impact of that strike. Are you sure it was only 170 million? 180. 180, good. I did say 180. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just trying to work. You know, there you got the numbers. Right? I, I got exactly the numbers right because I'll tell you why. Because I said to him 150 million because that was something that was reported. He's like, no. No, that was last year's general strike. It was bigger this year. I was like, all right, all right. Well, I mean, huge numbers. You can't even grasp that number here in Australia. No. But, of course, it is time for news from around the region. That's We're going right. to start in Turkey where things are... And if people don't want to know more information about they all can't. this, they just, can't. Oh. If people want to know, they're just going to have to deal with it. Um, if you, if you do want to, well, let let's first say Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. And if you do want to find out more about us, you can find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter as well, so find us on those social media platforms. So you need the steady hand of experience <laughs> on this program, Giselle. which you do not have. It seems you couldn't even. And back announce the song. Shall we go to Turkey? We need to tell people about the repression of workers in Turkey. That continues. The attempted military coup in Turkey of mid-July allowed the government to crack down on any real and apparent opposition. Tens of thousands of workers were affected by a wave of suspensions and dismissals in the days after the coup attempt. Unfortunately, this campaign of repression against workers has continued. On the 1st of September, 10,000 public sector workers were sacked. Turkey is now the leading country in the world for imprisoning journalists and over 11,000 teachers and allied personnel this week were suspended until further notice. That is literally throwing... 20, 
5,000 people into unemployment overnight. Yes, it's amazing how those figures can just bandy around. Oh, we've just suspended 10,000, oh, 20,000, whatever. And you just think, um, apart from the big numbers and, and, and like the individual impact on those people, you just think, like, how do you get rid of 10,000 in one day? The impact on the students and the officers and whatever. So very interesting. Uh, but, but all of the individuals that are dependent on those workers for their livelihoods. I mean, it is, we are, the, the situation in Turkey is still unfolding. We're going to see a lot more repression, desperation over there. Yep, yep, yep. No, that's right. Unfortunately, that's true. And I know that wasn't a, there was a sad story there. I've got a little good news stories as, as listeners really do want to hear good news stories. So I've actually got two good news stories, sort of, the little ones. Anyway, we go to South Korea, where this week the Korea Workers' Compensation and Welfare Service handed down a historic decision when it accepted that two workers had died from a pulmonary condition due to occupational exposure. The Compensation and Welfare Service agreed that payments should be provided to the families of Lee Gyeong-hui and Song Yu Gyeong as they had died uh, due to exposure of chemicals in their employment as semiconductor workers. This finding comes on the back of the recent ruling by South Korea's Supreme Court that had rejected a claim by three workers for compensation on a legal technicality. So a small win for the families. Well, we've got, so um, we've been talking to you a little bit about the PepsiCo workers in Pakistan that have been fighting to win recognition of their union. Of course, we, we brought you the victory of that. So that was just over two months ago. About 650 workers at the PepsiCo-owned company of Frito-Lay in Lahore, Pakistan, were able to win recognition of their union as their representative for collective bargaining negotiations. Obviously, we reported that as a fantastic victory, and it, and it very much still is, because PepsiCo has fought very hard against workers in other plans, um, and those include Taiwan, New Zealand, Australia, South India, North India... However, the workers in Pakistan now face a new hurdle because that company, PepsiCo, has formed its own fake union in an attempt to undermine the genuine workers' union. It just goes to show that while capitalism remains in place, we will always be under pressure from the capitalists. Took the words right out of my mouth there, Giselle, yes. We go to Thailand at this time, where this August, for the annual tradition of pardoning some prisoners on the birthday of the King of Thailand, Ponsip Munkong and Darani Chanchen Jingsung Pakul, or Aka Da Torpedo, were both released from the women's prison. The significance of this release is that both had been in prison for the crime of Les Majest, and Da Torpedo actually had another eight years to go. While these releases are to be welcome, the reality is that Thailand remains a military dictatorship with widespread human rights abuses. A recent report has also confirmed that the Thai military is among the country's biggest landowners. There you go. And last week we brought you that story of the mass deportations of um, migrant workers from from Thailand back to Burma. So that the the repression looks a number of different ways, but obviously all basically comes down to the weakness of our side in that country. I think. Yes. This week in the western New South Wales town of Barriulgil. 
in Australia, an Aboriginal man, Floyd Laurie, became the first confirmed case of the fatal asbestos cancer mesothelioma. Floyd was not a worker at the asbestos mine, but grew up in the adjacent town of Barriulgill, where white asbestos was piled up on the streets. Uh, Floyd's cancer is now expected to be only the first of many as mesothelioma takes many years, 30 to 40 years, to develop. The mine was owned by the notorious James Hardy Company who owned other asbestos mines and factories. James Hardy has now moved away from Australia and is denying any liability for the sickness and death that its products are still producing. And um, I actually watched, there was a, a recent TV program and that's actually not the only town predominant aboriginal town in that region that's affected by this but in this particular town james hardy actually is on record saying that they don't have to look after the health and safety of the aboriginal workers that were working in the asbestos mine because they were going to die beforehand anyway so they were the the mortality rate for aboriginal people is so much lower so who cares is that that That, was the argument that's that's correct it's just beggar's belief although it's true um so, anyway, we now go to Indonesia, where um, it's possibly a very, very bad news story. It hasn't quite happened yet. But basically, this week, in an ominous announcement, the chief of the National Narcotics Agency of Indonesia, General Budi Waseso, stated that they, um, they've got plans to procure more weapons and intelligence was only the start. General Waseso commented that he not only supported the current murderous war on drugs campaign in the Philippines, but that he believed that such a campaign would safeguard our beloved country of Indonesia. Now, considering that uh, Indonesia, um, this approach would just reactivate the death squads that killed thousands of people in the 1980s and would be a direct link to the massacres of 1965-67 where at least half a million people were murdered. So, again... um, Following in the steps of uh, Philippines President Dutetra, it sounds like... It's like a nightmare, you know, a bad... Anyway. How long have we been saying we are now at the pointy end of capitalism and uh, there's only one way out from here? Yes, yes, but there's many ways down. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I take your point. Um, uh, I want to. I just want to announce a, a movie fundraiser for AAWL. Um, this is being held on Monday night. Listeners, I have to be honest with you. I am a little bit anxious about this one. I don't think anybody is coming, so I need you all to come to this film fundraiser. We're screening The Battle of Algiers, which is actually quite a wonderful, wonderful film if you've never seen it before. It's one of the most influential films in the history of political cinema. It focuses on the events of 1957, a key year in the Algerian struggle for independence from France. Um, And one of our comrades, Lionel Bopagui, who I'm sure many of you know, he'll be introducing the film with a discussion about the political dimensions of national liberation struggles. Lionel Bopagui, of course, was a a, a leading figure in, um, in Sri Lanka. So that film is being screened on Monday the 12th of September. That's in a couple of days' time. 6 o'clock for a 6.30 start. It's at Long Play, 318 St George's Road in North Fitzroy. Tickets are $20 wage, $10 concession, and all funds do go towards supporting AAWL's campaigns and activities. Of course, if you want to come and see the film, 
I'm not going to say no if you don't have your 10 or $20. It really is about um, publicising AAWL's work, getting to uh, know and meet our organisers and learning a bit more about the organisation And people too. can get your autograph as well while they're there. Uh, yes, they can. And, and, you know, it's in hot supply, but, you know, get my autograph, pawn it off and, and make millions. That's right. It's just on 12 past 9 o'clock. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents here on 3CR Radio. We'll go to a community announcement and then we'll be back with the interview regarding the Indian general strike. IPAN is inviting you to attend its anti-war conference and join the Close Pine Gap protests from the 26th of September to the 2nd of October in Alice Springs. Pine Gap facilitates US war activities, international espionage and their killer drone program. It's time to stop the drift to war and free Australia from US military bases. For more information on the IPAN conference, go to ipan.org.au and for protest details, see closepinegap.org. IPAN is a 3CR supporter. Uh, it is 14 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. Nambiath Vasudevan is a long-standing um, international partner of Australia Asia Workerlinks. He's with the New Trade Union Initiative in India and the Blue Star Union. The Blue Star Union represents workers in um, air conditioning manufacturing, so that kind of industry. I spoke with Vasudevan, so they're based in Mumbai, of course, where some of the biggest strikes uh, were held in New Delhi. Um, But I did speak to Vasudevan about the 2nd of September general strike that was held in India. According to the Employers Association, 2nd September strike cost them something like $3 billion. They lost, suffered by the... The in uh, the by the by the government and the industry, because the strike is according according to the association cha- chamber of commerce, it is three billion dollars. I am speaking from Mumbai. In Mumbai, uh, the the strike was in a different uh, level. The all industries in Mumbai are closed. All India. This is an all India strike in which 180 million people joined. 180 million people. It's not 150. 150 was in 2015. In 2016, that is on 2nd September this year, the report says 180 million people participated in the strike throughout the country. And this uh, involves workers in public sector, in government sector, private sector, and in formal sector throughout the country, from one end of India to another end. Some states, some states in, in India were completely closed for all practical purposes. But the strike was not uniform everywhere. In in Mumbai, Mumbai is supposed to be the the, the center of industrial activity some years ago, after globalization, all industries have been closed down. There is no manufacturing, there is no production, there is no industry functioning in Mumbai. They are all gone out of Mumbai. So in Mumbai, the strike was not very effective. But in other areas where the new industries have come up, 
if the automobile industry, IT, etc., they joined the strike. The strike was very powerful in banking sector, insurance, coal, and uh, mining, where workers joined in big number. So that is the, the, the total effect of the strike of 180 million workers throughout the country. That sounds so extraordinary. And the number of striking workers is many yeah. times the number of yeah. people in Australia. So for Australian trade yeah. unionists, we pro- we cannot yeah. even imagine what it takes to organise yeah. that number of workers. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the the organising efforts? How is it even possible to get that number of people out? Uh, uh, as you know, general strikes have been taking place in India. Research national strikes have been taking place in India uh, since 1991. After the opening up of economy and the globalization process started. So uh, this has gone on almost every year. This is a 16th national strike against the government policies in which all the national trade union centers are involved. And mainly now, the uh, one of the main unions which was aligned to the ruling party earlier, that is the Congress party, they have also joined workers' agitation opposing government policies. All unions were together, irrespective of the political party affiliation, including the trade union affiliated to the BJP, which is in power now. But BJP backed out this time, just before the strike. But many of the BJP members also joined the strike. So therefore, on all India basis, 11 central trade unions and hundreds of other unions in various sectors can mobilize workers in different areas. And in a country like India, it is it has got 1.25 billion population. 1.25 billion population and 180 million is a small number. In fact, there are 400 million people who are employed in this country, 440 million people employed in this country working. So it is a huge number, there is no doubt about it. So 180 million is only a small fraction of the population of the country. And all unions together definitely can bring more workers and strike can become very effective. What's happening is, unfortunately, that is not taking place and the one-day strike is not enough. The strike should be of a longer duration, then only government will accede to the demands. The demands are very important. The demands are important for the people. Minimum wages, working hours, pension, social security, these are extremely important demands for every worker in all sectors. Therefore, the strike becomes so massive and participation becomes very, very huge. That's the reason for that. But um, So I, I appreciate that um, not all unions were working together in order to get 
as effective a strike as what you've been describing. But at the same time, yeah. isn't it the case that more unions came together to organise this one than previously during the, the general strikes and the growing movement that you described earlier? Uh, look, for the last few years, for the last uh, six, seven years, all unions are together. All unions, irrespective of political party affiliation, and India has a very peculiar type of union uh, functioning. Most of the unions are linked to political parties, either the uh, left parties or the right parties. All unions are connected with political parties, and you, if all unions come together and take a decision, it is possible to make it very, uh, very huge. So, unions were together for the last five, six years. All unions, irrespective of the political affiliation and the and the ruling party, on workers' issues and union issues, they have somehow remained together. Only now, in this strike, Bharatiya Masusan, BMS, BMS which is affiliated to BJP, which is a ruling party at the central government, federal government, that union decided to opt out of the strike on the, on the basis of certain announcement made by the Minister, Finance Minister of India, two days before the strike, conceding to some of the demands of the unions involved in the strike of 19, uh, 2015, like minimum wages. The minister announced the minimum wages can be increased to 10,000 rupees from something like 4,000 to 6,000 rupees. And BJP's union, BMS, said this is an improvement and the government is ready to consider the demands of workers. Therefore, we should not go ahead with the site. So all unions are together and therefore it has become possible because these unions are extension of political parties. You, you've raised a, an important theoretical issue, which is if all unions got together, then you could make some decisions that actually resulted yeah. in much more powerful industrial action, longer general strikes that actually grind capital to a halt in India, putting pressure on the capitalists yeah. to accede to the demands yeah. of the workers. In theory, that's very, very yeah. good. The, the issue that faces all of us internationally is how do we take that theory yeah. and make it a reality? Yeah. What What are the real barriers? And you've already mentioned the fact that some unions are aligned or all unions are aligned to political parties, whether they're left-wing or uh, right-wing. And you mentioned uh, the yeah. ruling party, yeah. which many commentators actually describe as, as fascist. So what interest would a fascist party have in actually grinding capital to a halt. So what are the practical, in your view, what are the practical steps required to result in unions coming together to actually have those practical solutions on the ground? Uh, it is, it's, it's a very, very, uh, very complex situation in India. Uh, this, uh, the, the union position gone changing according to the party in power and unfortunately this has gone on for many years but now because of the increasing attack on the rights of workers and also it is necessary for these parties to get votes of the people it's, it's, it's a big number 400, 400 million people who are 
in the organized unorganized sector their vote power is big so therefore they the unions have to take a stand that we are on your side irrespective of the political position ultimately every consideration leads to uh, election and coming to power therefore no party can keep away from the demands of the people the poverty uh, and uh, lack of jobs unemployment employer offensive in closing down companies it it may not be very genuine you have to stand with the people otherwise the union will be wiped out so in order to keep the union going and to keep the union survive uh, union survival it becomes necessary for the, all the unions to say that we are on the side of the workers on workers issue come they cannot keep out of it if they do that then they will not have any room for survival so vasudevan what do you see as the next step in this big struggle you've just had a very very successful 180 million worker general strike if everybody goes yeah, home yeah. and forgets about what yeah. happened obviously we will go backwards how do you maintain momentum and how do you use that momentum to go to the next step uh eig it will it will uh, this will definitely increase because the government is planning to change the existing labor laws with whatever whatever benefits existing for the workers now government is in a, in a in a serious move to change the labor laws i think this will this strike will definitely give more inspiration for the workers and the unions and they cannot keep away from the future action how and when it will take a take a shape as it is very difficult to predict because because the hugeness of the country and the big and the massive problems of the people and also very complex nature of the political condition prevailing in the country so uh, my my feeling is this will act as one more i uh spirited feeling for the people and the workers to forge ahead and continue to fight because it's not going to be easy because the government in power has a huge majority and they can pass any legislation workers representatives are not in parliament there are very few so therefore there is going to be a very 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 uh, serious problem for the industry and also the government policies regarding fdi this investment and complete push for privatization this this can create more problems for workers in the unions and unions will have to gear up and fight against these policies including the changes in the labor laws Hey, this is Nick Rumpinow. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. Talk. 
28 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. That was Nambiat Vasudevan uh, speaking about the 180 million worker strike on the 2nd of September. Just in the closing minutes of the show, I want to just remind you about AAWL's fundraiser on Monday night, the 12th of September. We're screening the Battle of Algiers with a special introduction by Lionel Bopagee. Uh, it's 6 o'clock for a 6.30 start at Long Play, which is 318 St George's Road. Please come along. I will look forward to meeting you. Let us know that you're listeners of the show so we can acknowledge you especially. And that's all that we've got um, for today. And uh, stay tuned to 3CR for the next program, which is Palestine Room. But that's all from me, Pierre Morrow. And me, Giselle Hanna. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.